Welcome to the Conquer Risk Podcast, the podcast that discusses all things around investment management and the business of running an RIA firm. All opinions expressed by podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Potomac Fund Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Potomac Fund Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. So welcome to the Conquer Risk podcast from Potomac. Uh, my name is Jeff. I've got my business partner, Manish, here. And, you know, it's interesting. We're going to cover a lot of different things over the life of this podcast. But one of the items that we obviously forgot last week was, who in the heck are we? Why are we, why are we even doing this? So, Manish, you want to you give a little bit of, of background as, as to what it is that you're bringing to the table, your experiences, that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, anytime you do your first podcast, you you always look back and say, what what do we do wrong? And uh, <laughs> some of the feedback we got is you never actually introduced yourself. So um, I'm uh, the president and chief investment officer at Potomac Fund Management. Uh, first job out of college, 17 some odd years ago, uh, hired to do trading operations, develop systems, was mentored by um, the, the vice president at the time, Mark Palomares, who sort of showed me the ropes. And uh, over time, was lucky enough to purchase incremental shares of the company, and a couple years ago, uh, bought out majority share. Uh, so I'm a lifetime Potomacer, however you want to say that. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. This is my only sort of real world experience. So, hey, 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 just um, for the record, we make up words here too. So you know, exactly. it's all good. So yeah, the, the, it's the Kool Aid is is in my veins. I haven't done anything else, and so. Um, you know, majority owner now, obviously with you as my business partner and, and trying to take the company sort of forward in a different path here. Yeah. No, that's a, that's good stuff. And and that's that's why you and I are sort of a yin and a yang. I mean, I've I've done a lot of other things. Uh, so my whole career has been in numbers, uh, right? I, I started, goodness, 25, 26 years ago in a couple of banks right out of college. And uh, and then then went to uh, a firm, American Century, uh, excuse me, Security Benefit, and then uh, you know learned life insurance, mutual funds, annuities. Moved to American Century, uh, worked with uh, you know the the uh, larger advisors there. Was on the help desk, did a lot of web work, really worked with the brokerage team, getting that up and running, and then then moved on to a firm called VSR, where I really dug into the advisory side, and it was like that was the epiphany for me. Like, wait a second. There's a lot of different things that you can do, and advisors can do a lot of different things. But, but for me, the advisory side is where I really dug in, and and I spent over a decade there, about uh, almost 13 years, doing due diligence on third-party managers like Potomac. That's how you and I met. Uh, was the fact yeah. that you were a third-party manager, you were a vendor that that I had to approve, and uh, and we started doing business, and obviously built the relationship uh, to the point where now I'm here, and I'm one of the I'm a minority owner. So. Yep. Um, that's that's the benefit here, right? We, you've got two owners talking about our experiences, our journey in running an RIA. Yeah, fair enough. Working with yeah. advisors our whole lives. So um, I think uh, adds a lot of value there. Yeah. Well, so there's a, there's a little snippet about the background. So now we need to move on to some of the other topics uh, along the way. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about was actually, this is really your, your bailiwick. Is uh, apparently you visited the Riskalyze boot camp recently, not too far from your uh, where you're you're currently living. You want to speak about that? Yeah, yeah, and you know, so we 
Riskalyze Marketplace is a, a marketplace of money managers um, where you know you have the ability to to get research and trade signals. And and we recently signed up as you and I have been trying to put our the Potomac strategies in the hands of as many people as possible. And so after signing up for the for as a strategist on the marketplace, I wanted to go up to the boot camp um, and shout out to Riskalyze for throwing such a great event and and learn how advisors are using it. Uh, since we've worked majority through advisors, it's hard for us to sort of understand how they're using it with the end client. Uh, and that was important because I wanted to see how they use it, how we can play a role in that, and how they can see our strategies. So it was, it was actually, you know, they, they went into detail about the system, um, how the score is calculated, best practices, uh, and sort of what they have on the roadmap, which is a huge focus on autopilot which will benefit us selfishly because we have the ability to, to put those trades in there. So um, definitely a good experience. I don't know what your thoughts are so far in working with them. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely an interesting perspective. I mean, I, I would say point blank, they uh, it's pure, it's pure genius creating the speed limit sign. Right. I mean, ultimately yeah, for sure that that is such a simple, simple concept, even though there's, you know, all kinds of math behind the equation. Uh, the fact that the a speed limit sign is so simple for clients, the end client to understand. Um, I think that's absolutely brilliant. Well, and I mean, sometimes listen, not, not how about how about just us? Right. Because, you know, when we're explaining strategies, we're like, hey, you know, to us, this is our most aggressive strategy. However, that doesn't really mean anything because people right. build books of businesses with different strategies. It doesn't. So so just being able to say, look, take this independent third party you know, it's out of our hands. We're not classifying anything, you know, take that score for what it's worth. Um, it, it just, it put things, you know, it levels the playing field, really. There, there's not a lot of hanky panky going on with people trying to classify things their own way. Right. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's, that's, that's really the deal. If it's easy for clients to understand, they're more likely to, uh, to engage and more likely to accept. Right. And, uh, and and that that lends itself well, because ultimately, and you said this last week, right? I mean, if you're going to try and and control risk or conquer risk, then you're going to potentially give up a little bit of return. Right. Because there is no silver bullet. So, well, if the client understands, are we gonna, <laughs> I think we need to admit that for full disclosure that we were risk allies haters years ago. Well, that's true. That's true. Uh, and part of that is just because we are tactical and unconstrained managers. Um, that's so because of the, your conversation with, uh, with one of the founders, maybe you can touch on that, right? What, how is, how is a tactical unconstrained manager affected with, or, or by Riskalyze and the scoring process? Well, when we started with Riskalyze, they actually didn't have a category for tactical. Um, and so what would happen is you could have a manager like Potomac who could be a hundred percent invested one day and then 20% invested or 0% invested. And if you start adjusting risk scores on the fly like that without accounting for the tactical nature of trading, it doesn't set the proper expectations. And so from starting off, we just we weren't, we, I didn't really understand how they were calculating the risk score. And they had come out with a, a tactical version from what my understanding is, you know, incorporates more traditional tactical statistics like max drawdown, batting average, because um, things like standard deviation, you know, they don't account for the, the higher highs and the lower lows. So you, you need other statistics that really help encapsulate drawdown. And so they came out with this other category. 
And I think to their credit, they've really sort of expanded on, on how they score strategies. And, and so, yes, we, we weren't fans at first, and we've slowly become fans of, of, of the process. And, and now in the last couple of months, meeting everyone um, from marketing to uh, the owners to, you know, even the product team. It's right. it's the brand. There's such a brand fit with who they are and who we are. I'm pretty pumped about working with them. Yeah, it's I I would agree. It uh, it it's uh, it's always fun when you you actually get to talk to to what I call good people. <laughs> right. I didn't get the sense of the slimy salesman uh, concept, which uh, you know in our industry obviously is a a, a prevalent problem. Well, but, especially uh, in fintech. Uh, yeah. Well, and one of the things that I want to want to touch on too, just briefly, is the fact that I made a statement a moment ago, right? If you want to conquer risk, you have to give up some return, and I think that needs some clarity because ultimately, I think in the short run that may be the case, but when you when you look at the results long term, where you start to see full market cycles, when you can lop off a little bit, of, if a little bit of the top gets lopped off, but you're also mitigating that bottom risk, that hidden risk, that catastrophic risk. The average annual returns aren't necessarily going to be any any uh, terribly worse or any worse than some of your what I'll call normal or strategic investments. It's a matter of simply being a different ride. It is a different path, and and therefore the word I like to use is a different experience. So I want to clarify that because I don't want you to want I want folks that might be listening to think, oh wait, okay, so they're already telling me they're going to suck most of the time, but they're going to save me from risk. Well, uh, that's you know, not the case. There's there's no risk. Bull markets last forever. Let's let's move on to the next. Oh wait, topic. it's different this time. There we go. No, we had to throw that in there just we're once. In a, we're in, we're in the middle of a hundred year bull. There you go. All right, so that that lends itself to I think the the I'm next. Joking, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I think it lends itself <laughs> to the next topic, which is a recent blog post. This is a, a, a blog post that you you wrote, and it's uh, it's got a long history between you and I, uh, since we've known each other so long in our, our roles, right? Uh, Hypothetical is industry code for hogwash. Uh, great blog. I, I wanted by to the say way. bullshit, but Jennifer wouldn't <laughs> let me. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I think I, frankly, you know my stance long before I came here that I would completely agree. I mean, doing due diligence for so long, that's one of the things I was looking for. I was looking for ownership. I was looking for disclosure. I was looking for all these things that are in the background to validate whether or not the the performance numbers that I saw were a real and b matched the experience and expectation based on what i was told it was supposed to be the marketing literature was etc so let's start with uh the the reason that i wanted to talk about this this week is in the last week week and a half i've had three different advisors bring either bring to me something that turned out to be hypothetical in nature or start asking questions in regards to, in this case, one of them was in regards to, uh, you know, some signals and those sorts of things. And that's a real differentiator for us. The signals that we're providing through Riskalyze Partner Store are the same models that we're managing real advisor client money. And I think that's a very important distinction. So anyway, let's let's rip through this just a little bit. Uh, I want to start with the uh, test that I put you through down in Florida. You want to speak to that a little bit? I kind of put yeah, the heat so, on you. Yeah, you know, I, I know. I don't know if <laughs> one of my passions. I don't know if this is a passion. Maybe not. But is is going through track records and 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 you know, one of our advisors used to. I love the quote. You know, um, there has to be a pony in that pile of poop. And <laughs> and I like going through track records to figure oh, out man. what what's sort of where the details are because 
over my years of creating strategies and, and looking at strategies, I've found that there's a lot of um, hocus pocus when it comes to creating smoke and mirrors. Uh, F squared got busted years ago for, you know, creating a misleading track record. And it still goes on today. It's so prevalent. So when you were down in uh, Florida with Kim, your wife, I said, look, uh, I popped open my laptop. I said, you know, give me 30 minutes. I think I finished it in 15. I said, I'm going to create a hypothetical track record uh, on my software system that goes back and tracks buys and sells and creates a performance track record. And the kicker is I can actually put this in a fact sheet and sell it to clients. Uh, it's, it's perfectly legal. And, and it, it just it rubs me the wrong way because there's times where we lose business, uh, most recently to a billion-dollar firm who is on one of the largest BD's platforms. And I'm not going to name any names, but I go in there and I see a track record back to 1991. Wow, it's impressive too. And then I start reading the details. The real actual account performance didn't start till 2016. So from 91 to 2016, it was complete bullshit. It was just made up. And that's what hypothetical track records are to me. You are, you are back testing uh, using indices that, frankly, may have not even been around, right? To your point, you did some research on the amount of funds that have come and gone. Touch on right. that, and we can add that in. Sure. Well, the, uh, so the number of funds, this is from the Investment Company Institute, and we'll provide a link in the uh, in the notes that you can go through this. There's a lot of good information in here, but I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, number one, uh, I'll hit on the number of funds that are available. In 1999, there were 6,834 mutual funds. In 2018, there were 17,707 mutual funds. Just that alone should boggle the mind enough to think, okay, I'm an advisor and I'm managing portfolios and I've got to divide up my time. Well, it has got extensively more complicated because 17,000 funds, I mean, just to filter through those alone is a full-time job, right? But here's something that I found intriguing, and that is, uh, and again, this is another chart that, uh, that we'll display here <clears throat> in the same, uh, same report. The number of mutual funds and ETFs leaving the industry we are now at 2017 and 2018 and 20, in fact, even 2016, the, these are the most funds and ETFs exiting the industry since 2008. Okay. Can I stop you right there? there. Yeah. I want to stop you right there. So think about it. You have a manager that has, that trades ETFs and trades 10 ETFs, right? And they have a hypothetical track record. Those ETFs didn't exist in 91 and 2000. So what are you testing against? You know, they're testing against indices that go back, approximating what the ETF would look like. You, you just can't do that, you know, and, and it, it's, it's living without regret. You know, if all of us could go back in time and, and do something differently, we, we probably would. Um, but these track records assume that you would actually execute it on that day um, to the exact amount. And, and to your point, half these funds didn't even exist. So it's it's just it's just bullshit. It's bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, and, but, that's I mean, the how do we put a stop to it? You know, I was on Twitter the other day, and you know, Med Faber, who I follow, was you know calling out a firm and and you know talking to the SEC, or I don't know if I'd ever take it that far, but you know, it's it's such an you know accepted practice, I guess, these days, or or maybe no one knows, or maybe no one cares. I I, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's that's really part of the problem. The fact that it is legal, 
is is really where the problem is and there's not this is my issue i i would although i don't like it i would even be okay with it being legal if there was a standardized way that was painfully clear to display hypothetical and let me give you a quick example if if you think of the mountain chart of performance that that everybody wants to display if there was a a vertical line that distinguished the hypothetical versus the real it would be painfully obvious for anybody that looked at it what well, was actually yeah, real. Te technically, yeah. you're supposed to do that. Yeah, well, look. Yeah. Obviously, you don't have to. I mean, the SEC isn't coming down hard on anybody for this. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. But, I mean, that's, you know, it is what it is. I mean, yeah, well, so effectively. Let's, yeah, I mean, let's, I'm going so to read an example. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. All right, so I'm going to read an example. And this is from your blog post. Uh, but there are several, and I want to read one that I, I think it's uh... well. Before before you get started, let's let's just touch on. So the, what the blog was was we decided to make an actual fact sheet. Fact sheet. Mm -hmm. So I ran the hypothetical, and you and I sat down and said, "All right, let's make an actual fact sheet." It's called the Duh Portfolio. Do not use hypotheticals. And we went through and we listed the performance. We listed. Uh, some descriptions, um, and then also a disclosure. And the disclosure that you're about to read from, we pulled actual pieces of disclosure that we had read um, from other pieces. So uh, just some background. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, so this is, this is one of my favorites. Uh, this is a quote from, from a, uh, another, um, another manager's piece. So I'm reading this verbatim. Some of the mutual funds used were not available until X date making the hypothetical results unattainable during that time. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where you go from there. <laughs> you know, no shit, Sherlock. Thanks I, I for mean, letting us know. Yeah, I, you know, I... Uh, but I we'll caught, report it and sell it to you. Yeah, well, I caught the world's biggest bass. It was 500 pounds, but I didn't have a camera. So, I mean, but I caught it. For it. Yeah, take my word for it. It was huge. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, when they, when they admit that it's unattainable and yet they're going to display it to you, what that what that tells you. And by the way, I do have a psychology degree. Well, so I, I'm a, I take a little different stance. I was I, I sort of joke that I was behavioral psychologist uh, and, and behavioral finance before that even existed. Uh, I'm that old. But the, the concept is that the picture, right, the old adage is a picture speaks a thousand words. The picture of performance speaks so many more volumes than all the disclosure that the SEC wants to have you put in. Because nobody reads the fine print. Nobody reads the prospectus. Nobody reads the right, all these disclosures and things that we have. Nobody reads them. Otherwise, you would get things like this, which, hey, this is a really cool picture. But by the way, it's unattainable. And the yeah. fact that you can say that in a disclosure, here I go on my rant, you can say that in a disclosure, but you can still show them the picture anyway? Well... About that 500-pound bass, let me sketch a picture of what it looked like. And then I'll just write below it, this, this isn't actually the picture. But look at this huge bass I caught. I mean, you know, it's just, it's just it goes back to bullshit. So anyway, there we go. Soapbox what number else? two. What else? You got right? any other fun disclosures <laughs> in there? <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, there's, a, there's another one. Uh, let's see, what do we got here? Uh, hypothetical results were obtained by using the actual indices, prices, and or funds similar to funds currently used similar yeah. and that's i mean who's defining similar is yeah you know and that's that's all left up to the imagination um indices change over time um you know the right now the uh world uh, uh technology index is i think 60 percent u.s 
you know, it, was that the same years ago? I mean, things it, you just it, anyway. I, we we got to move on. Yeah. So well, so one more one more thing here, and this is something you wrote in a I, I think it was a commentary. Uh, so our active advisors of any sort, whether it be subscribers to uh, our signals, our our platform advisors, or our our direct <laughs> advisors, would get uh, our market commentary. And I think it was one of those that you you referenced um, that there are more. I believe it was 2012. We we'll have to go back and look. There are more indexes now than there are stocks to invest in. I, yeah, that I mean, blows my mind. Create an index. That's the yeah, new, the blows new my mind. Mirrors. But right. anyway, so, any other disclosures? Right. No, I think I think we've probably beat that okay. horse enough. So, all right, so, so uh, recommendations. Yeah, yeah. You want to fire away? You want me? Yeah, I uh, recently my wife and I watched Theranos, um, which I've heard a lot about, but we never got around to watching it. It was slow and and sort of, you know, dry. Um, but uh, what a strange creature that lady is with the with the black pantsuits and, I mean, the fact that she misled so many people. And my takeaway really from that was, you know, when you stay private longer, which more companies are doing now, you can get away with a lot more. You don't have to be accountable to shareholders. And right. so when I walked away from that, I thought, how many other companies out there right now? don't really have a product and they're just selling hopes and dreams, getting private equity and, you know, may never come public. And if they do, you know, that there may be a lot of skeletons in the closet there. So it, it was a, it was a good, good watch. Um, I'm not sure it's a high recommendation, a, a rainy day. Now, now you told me last week that these recommendations, I mean, they gotta be spot on. So now you're giving me one that's mediocre. Come on, bro. Well, yeah, I mean, it, I, I would. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't spend the time. Um, but well, what you got? It, no, it's actually, honestly, it's a fitting one on the day that we're talking about hypothetical. Yeah. So, so, so there you go. I understand why you put it in there. Uh, I'm gonna go with one that uh, that you said you watched as well, and that is, uh, well, I guess it's Prime. Uh, one of their special sh uh, series. It was only, I believe, an eight-part series, but it's called The Widow with Kate Beckinsale. And uh, I got to say that I was, uh, first, I, you know, I saw the trailer and I was like, okay, this looks pretty cool. Um, I was really shocked because I, I, don't, I, I don't remember ever really seeing her in anything else. I mean, a, a beautiful lady. But very she, easy on the eyes for sure. Yeah, yeah, well, she strikes me more, and this is, right, this is your, your scratch judgment, which that's what people do. That's just natural. Okay, she's sort of model type. I'm a model-ish. I was not expecting, and that's what blew me away. This show really gets down and dirty. I mean, it's a it's a lot of action, uh, super high intense drama, and I mean, she's getting her hands dirty. Uh, she's she's doing action. It was a, bi shots. a binge she's watch, doing... a binge uh, oh, watch for kind sure. of show, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think, think I knocked I... out four or five episodes at once. Yeah, the eight episodes was gone in about three days for us. It's like yeah. you know, and oh I keep wait, at logging lunch. in, checking for wait. season two, but I don't know the hell's coming out. <laughs> yeah, I know. So. so anyway, I highly that that definitely that'll that'll kick it up a notch. If you want a short bingeable series, that is absolutely worth the watch. It's one of the best I've seen in in probably the last year. Awesome. So, what else? Yeah. Got? All right. So I think that uh, that pretty well covers it for today. We've uh, we've talked about the Riskalyze boot camp. We've talked about hypotheticals, hogwash, and our blog post that you're welcome to go read out there. We'll provide the link, uh, and obviously some good recommendations to be able to walk away with in some form or fashion. So uh, like, subscribe, obviously share the podcast, uh, dance your own beat, whatever it takes. Uh, we want to make sure that we know. Uh, oh, by the way, here's a thought. We also now have released our first podcast, right? We did it in audio first to the Google Play, Pippa, Lipson. Uh, we're still working on Apple Play, that or you know, the iTunes Store. That takes a while. 
but uh, we also have the video version out on our YouTube channel. And so that will start to become part of the process. We'll release the video as well. Uh, and, and hence the reason that we've referenced that there's a couple of charts that we will show as well as link to. So you can see those uh, on your own on the court. So yeah, definitely like, share, subscribe. I mean, that's what we want to see. We want to want to find out what more uh, everybody wants to uh, hear us talk about in our journey, owning and running an RA. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Adios. Later.